Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele, and I want to welcome back my co-host, Ilwa Orism. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks. Just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at WannabeRounder, LinkedIn, and on Instagram at DCaduto. Where can they find you, Willowa? I'm also on LinkedIn and on Instagram, and in both of them, you can find me just searching up my name, E-L-O-A-O-R-A-Z-E-M, Elouaurazem, the only one with this name in the entire world. Just a couple of quick announcements. Our Patreon channel is now live. You can find it by typing Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. We're offering five different levels to support us at. $5, $10, $20, $30, and $40. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity to get some great perks, such as earning your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly Zoom meeting with Ilewa and myself. For more details, just go to the website. I'll leave the link in the description. Which leads me to my next big announcement. Flashback Fridays are now underway, and we're a few weeks in. This is where Ian Cargard and myself will be discussing films from the past. The last film we did was Thor, and we'll be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. Stay tuned for this week's episode where we'll be talking about Captain America First Avenger. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you never miss a podcast. So this week is our main topic podcast, and the man of the moment is Tom Cruise. We're going to discuss everything from his early beginnings in Hollywood to what led him to have one of the biggest names and careers in the business. But before we do that, we do have to take a brief time out. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So, Tom Cruise. He is arguably one of the biggest names in the business today. What Would you say that's a, a fact or no? I don't know what are the parameters that we were using here to say the biggest. He's very recognizable. Big, biggest names. Yeah, I mean, he's recognizable all over the world, right? You say Tom Cruise and everybody knows at least one of his movies, know who he is, and know that he jumped on Oprah's couch. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. I think that's where most people do remember him. So, yeah, he is probably one of the top three names right now with Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds in the business. He's led Forbes leading salary getters for up to million years or quite a long time. And so let me ask you, before this podcast or how I don't know how much research you did, how much did you actually know about Tom Cruise? I know a bit about Tom Cruise, you know. I um I mean I know probably as much as people know about him, right? We all researched we all Googled his name at some point, I guess, so talked a little about him. So I know he wanted to be a priest, for instance, which I think is shocking that that a lot of people don't know. And he dropped that to join, you know, acting school and all that. He has three sisters, moved to, I don't know, 15 different cities throughout his life. So Didn't you tell me you actually met Tom Cruise? No, Tom Cruise, no. I actually, I met Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Oh, okay. It was Ryan Gosling. I got so yeah. He's so he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Tom Cruise. No. Yeah. So yeah. So you're right about. I too. Right. He's not on the covers of TV, and and he doesn't go to the fancy restaurants in Los Angeles for sure. He's a very private person, to say the least. And so a little bit of background about him. He was born on July third, nineteen sixty-two. So that puts him right around sixty-three. Yes, 63 years old. So, I mean, he's he looks good for his age. I hope I look that good at 63. <laughs> so You have $550 million. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he was born in 1962 in Syracuse, New York. His parents, his father was actually an electrical engineer, and his mother was a special ed teacher, and they were both from Louisville, Kentucky. So, his first... His first dabbling into acting was actually in the fourth grade and he's actually 59 he's 59 years old so he's going to be turning 60 this year wow yeah no so then he's 62 say he was born 1962 yeah he's 59 
So he was born in 1962. You said something different before you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. I, I misspoke about his age. I misspoke about his age. That was my fault. He's 59. He'll be turning 60 this year. Yeah, so. Same age as my mom, 1962, 60 years. Wow. So, yeah, his first dabbling into acting was in the fourth grade in a play with about four or five other people. And then he actually moved. You write about the, the priesthood. He actually wanted to become a priest. His, his family, for a short while, actually moved up to Canada. And they lived in um, Ottawa. And he then went back. So they moved back to the States. And he graduated high school in 1980 from Glenridge High School in New Jersey. So... From right there, you know, 18, 19 at the time. And then he went to New York with his parents' blessing to try and actually pursue acting. And he worked as a busboy there for a, quite a long time before he moved out to Los Angeles, where he got signed by uh, CAA, which is one of the, I mean, I think they're still one of the largest agencies. It is. It's huge, yeah. So it's creative artist industries. And so... He got his first film back in 1981, and that was called Endless Love. And then that was the beginning of his acting career. And then it started all from there. But the big role that everyone, one of the big roles that he's known for is that scene in Risky Business a couple years later in 1983. And from that, it just went off. It just took off after that. And of course, you know, we were talking about Top Gun, the other day, so I mean, once he got to Top, once '86 happened, Top Gun, that was it. His career literally and figuratively took off. So, and actually, the same year, which is a movie I love, and it's a little movie that a lot of people don't really—I don't want to say no or appreciate—is *The Color of Money* with Paul Newman. I love that movie, and that's about—it's actually kind of based on a sequel of The Hustler with Jackie Gleason. And so Minnesota Fats is, he's supposed to, Paul Newman's supposed to be his rival and then he teaches Tom Cruise how to play nine ball. It's, I love the movie. So, but actually I, I was reading, how, take a guess at how much his movies have grossed domestically. Like all of his movies. You cut it. Can you repeat that? Now you cut it. Take a guess at how much his movies have grossed. Like, his box office, just all time. Dude, it's so hard because one thing about, I mean, I would say $3 billion, I don't know. You're very close. You're very close. It's $4 billion domestically, $10 billion worldwide. And it's just, and that's, yes, that is adjusted for inflation. <laughs> but that's just, that's crazy to think about. So once Top Gun hit, he was just getting movie roll after movie roll after movie roll. And... So then he went on and he did the 1988 film, which, so what we're going to do, I think, is at the end of this podcast, we're going to give our top five Tom Cruise movies, but he went on to do a fantastic movie that we were actually talking about in our 80s, Welcome to the 80s podcast. And by the way, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to it. That's, we had a great time talking all about 80s movies, and that was Rain Man. That was an amazing movie. And, of course, Dustin Hoffman went on to win his second Academy Award. Tell our listeners, you, you said something interesting about that movie. Do you remember that story you told our, about Rain Man? I, there are so many stories that they thought that it wouldn't be a hit, or which one? Well, the, the one that you said that Dustin Hoffman wanted to actually change the role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very comfortable with that, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he wanted to change the role because he didn't think it was going to work. And he ended up winning an Oscar for it. Exactly. Well, that's how I think that's how it is whenever it's something risky, right? It's just our brains are, you know, our mind is programmed to kind of always anticipate the worst. So when it's something risky, you're like, dude, this is not going to work. This is going to be so bad. I'm going to be so embarrassed. And then everyone's like, dude, that's amazing. Here's an Oscar for you. Yeah. So and then, of course, the next year, Tom earns his first Academy Award nomination and for Born on the Fourth of July for his his portrayal of uh, Ron Kovic, which, which was actually loosely based off a true story. And he ended up winning a Golden Globe for that and did get his first Oscar nomination. And so, I mean, he's just I mean, the films are just so I could list them all here, but there's just too many. He's just one of those stars Illua, that is just every single movie he's in 
you know it's going to be, even if the story is crap, you know the movie's going to be halfway decent. And I think he's very particular. I mean, Tom Cruise got to a point of his career where he has the leverage to interfere, let's put it this way, on the choices of maybe the director, co-stars, and, you know, and the team around him. And I feel like he's very selective on that. That's why I think, you know, you're not... It might not be your favorite movie, but you know it's going to be good entertainment at least, right? Yeah, but I mean, so he did, you know, A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson and Kiefer Sutherland and all that. Then the next year was The Firm, you know, Jerry Maguire. He gets another Academy Award nomination for Magnolia, you know. And the, the so the one that really put him into a next level, I think. And Brian De Palma is one of those directors... I think his master class is The Untouchables with Kevin Costner and Andy Garcia and Sean Connery. But his revision, his thoughtfulness of what he did with Mission Impossible, because it is now you got to understand this is 26 years ago, 1996. It is so difficult to adapt a television show to a feature film format, because let's face it. Mission Impossible at the time, first of all, it was in the 1960s. So you're talking about a show that was not, I didn't watch in my generation. I, I'm sure you haven't seen any episodes of Mission Impossible. So to bring this to the big screen, you have to have the right script. Now, I'm not saying his career would have been over because he was arguably the biggest name. That's why they got him to go play Ethan Hunt, right? But this film, Brian De Palma did, was amazing. And from that, I mean, the, the one shot I remember of that is when Cruz, Ethan Hunt, and the bad guy are sitting in the restaurant, and the, the glass gets shot. He throws a little piece of gum at the glass, and it's got an alligator. <laughs> and you just see the slow motion as the water comes out. It was beautiful. But that movie put him in the next level. And that is what made, has made him billions of dollars today. It's not, you know, collateral, and it's not The Last Samurai, and it's not, you know, Vanilla Sky. It's Mission Impossible. I feel like it's easy for an actor to do something for money and something for themselves. And I feel like maybe it's, it's like, yeah, it's not, I'm not going to make tons of money with, uh, you know, with Vanilla Sky, especially because Vanilla Sky is not really a movie that I feel appealed to the American audience. You know, it was an, actually a Spanish movie that was very successful there. Penelope Cruz was in both of them. Did you watch the original one or no? No, I, didn't, I never got a chance to. But yeah, it's just this. So that movie, when, and so when that comes out, it's huge. And then the sequel is, we both know this, but the sequel is just, it's so hard to top the original. And the sequel busted. <laughs> and it was a story. But so, and we're, we'll talk about the Dead Reckoning trailer a little later on. But yeah, it's just. And David, I feel like, hold on, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it's like, I feel like you thought in the beginning that I know Tom Cruise or that I met Tom Cruise because a, no, because a friend of mine worked with him and I told you a story about Tom Cruise. Oh, that's okay. So that's where I misinterpreted. So let me repeat it just because since we're talking about him, I feel like it's a good story to share. So a very good friend of mine is a super successful director of photography, photographer, director, Oscar nominated and all these things. And he is the director of photography for American Made. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, I have not seen it, but I know of the story. So, okay. So my friend is directly working with Tom Cruise because he's the big star of that movie. And there is a scene where they are shooting a guy on, on the telephone. And they kind of told to Tom Cruise, like, yeah, it's okay. You don't, we don't need you. Like, someone else can do it. You're not going to be on camera, right? So you, we don't need you on set just to read back the lines to the other guy. And he insisted. For him, it was absurd not being there. And my friend, who has a lot of experience in Hollywood and cinemas all over the world, he was kind of surprised because it's like, usually those celebrities, so big and so busy and so famous, they just don't want to do it. You know, they're more like, okay, you don't need me. I'll, I'll be right there in my in my area, in my room or whatever, doing my thing. So he was like, Tom Cruise is one of the most committed actors that I've ever worked with. And I think that shows, we all know how invested he is in his action scenes, right? This is, it's widely publicized that he, in most cases, 
he's gonna get the stunts unemployed because he's doing all the scenes, all the recents. Like, oh, someone needs to be hanging, you know, by the airplane door. That's Tom Cruise. He's actually doing it. We all know that. Yeah. And it's just so, but that franchise really put him on a different level. And so, yeah, I mean, so he goes on. And so what I was going to say is that he's not just an action star. Let's, I have always contended this. So he has done sci-fi before. Okay. He did Minority Report, directed by Steven Spielberg in 2002. He's done War of the World, also directed by Spielberg. He did Oblivion. He did Edge of Tomorrow. Now, these films didn't really take off, not because they weren't sci-fi, but because the story, I mean, Emily, I'm sure Emily Blunt did a great job in Edge of Tomorrow. It just didn't work, you know, and the the story didn't work. So, and then, of course, the remake, what we, we were just talking about. So if you are listening now, go back and check out reboots, remakes, and sequels. And I talk all about the three things that drive Hollywood. But yeah, it's been five years since the remake of The Mummy. And so Universal, what they actually wanted to do is they actually wanted to start this. They called a monsterverse. And they had, so The Mummy was the beginning of it. And Russell Crowe was in The Mummy. And actually they had, I believe he played Jekyll and Hyde in The Mummy. And so they had the whole thing lined up and the movie just collapsed. But yeah, so... But you're right about control and the commitment and everything else. And that's why, I mean, even take the first scene in Mission Impossible 2. I mean, he's hanging off a cliff. I can't even imagine the amount of insurance they had to take out on, you know. But so let me ask you a question just off the top. What, if you had to choose him, if you could only watch him in one thing, action, sci-fi or drama, what is it going to be? I know that you said that you really like him on dramas. I honestly think Tom Cruise is an action star. I mean, I cannot I cannot imagine him. I cannot imagine another actor portraying, you know, the agent in Mission Impossible, Ethan Hawke. I don't think that... Yeah, Ethan Hunt. I, that's, that's just... Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think... And that's something... You bring up a good point. If they had gotten anybody else to play Ethan Hunt, I don't think it's as successful. I really don't because he just came off doing Jerry Maguire and he just got a Golden Globe for that. So, I mean, it had already been in the works and everything else. But, yeah, I I would tend to agree with you. But I, you know, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think he is an action star through and through. But he's underrated for drama. He really is. Like The Last Samurai, it's one of his most underrated movies. Even, you know, the portrayal of Born on the Fourth of July, he got an Oscar nomination. And that's the thing about Cruz. He doesn't care. He doesn't want awards. That's the thing. He's doing it. We talked about passion a couple weeks ago. He's doing it for the passion of this, you know, being able to pull an incredible stunt off and you go, oh, my God, that was practical. Wasn't CGI. I think one of his best roles and Michael Mann is an outstanding director. I think Heat is his masterclass. I think Manhunter is right up there. It's collateral. His portrayal of Vincent, and Jamie Foxx actually was nominated for that year, 2004, he actually won for Ray. He would have been the first man he didn't win for collateral, but he got nominated. He'd have been the first guy to win in two different categories. But that was an unbelievable movie. I mean, wow. And let me ask you this. Do you think it's unfair that Tom Cruise has never gotten an Oscar? Or you think it makes sense? No, because he's never done... It's so difficult to win one Oscar, to even get nominated for an Oscar, first of all. Then to actually win, it's incredibly difficult. Because you have to understand there are so many different performances over the year. And then to be down to one of the five best... You know, you've got a 20% shot of winning. So your odds are... Even if you get nominated, you're... Chances of winning are one in five. And that is so difficult in itself that, I'll be honest with you, I don't think he really cares about Oscars. That's why he's never done anything to... It's not like he's a Bradley Cooper. I mean, yeah, he's gone over and he's done The Hangover. And sure, he's been nominated three times in five years. But if you had to tell me that Bradley Cooper... I think Bradley Cooper wanted an Oscar more than Tom Cruise. Because he isn't... He's not looking for those. He's not looking for rewards. All that being said, Mission Impossible. So let's get to the trailer. 
trailer dropped yesterday. This is called Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now, I got to ask, how many, I pro you probably haven't seen a lot of them, and that's, don't worry about that. How many Mission Impossible movies have you seen? I have no idea, David. No okay, idea. Okay, there's, there's so many of them. And for me, but this is the thing, because they're not special, for me, they're all kind of the same. Yeah, no, they really are. Because it's it's basically the same. But there, there are scenes that got stuck. So him climbing the Burj Al Arab in Dubai, it's, it's like, we all have seen that. Well, that's the thing about this franchise, and you bring up a great point. Yeah. This franchise, while the first one was a success, the only way this franchise has been able to survive is they do crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier things. And you think, no, they can't pull that off. What? They pulled that off? And when so he's hanging off a plane going up, you know, lift, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> really? Or he's hanging off the tallest building in the world in Dubai. Mm -hmm. Did you know that they actually had to? Yeah, of course. They actually, this is, this tells you something. Paramount actually had to get permission from the building to actually cut out certain portions of the building and they had to get building codes and everything else. So when they shot that scene, okay, and he's running up the building or he's swinging across the building, it had to be a code and he's hanging off the tallest building in the world. And now, I mean, it's just, so let's get to Dead Reckoning. So you watched it yesterday. What was your first impression of it? My first impression is like, wow, they're really trying to empower some women. There's a lot of women actually being part of the action, not only being the hot romantic desire of Ethan Hunt. Yeah, yeah, so... That was actually my first impression. It's like, wow, there are some girls with guns. So, yeah, the Elizabeth... That's one thing that they have not done a great job of. So Haley Atwell, Haley Atwell is in this, who she played in, wouldn't be a series you've watched, but uh, it was Agent Carter. It was a Marvel series. She played, yeah, so that was one. Rebecca Ferguson is coming back. This is her fourth film, I think. So, so she's had a reoccurring role in the films. Vanessa Kirby is back as the White Widow. She was in Rogue Nation or Fallout. She was in Fallout. So they're bringing... I do like the fact... I will say one thing, though. I do like the fact that they're having a ongoing storyline because they could do individual movies, like individual episodes, and that there would be no continuity there, right? It all started with Rogue Nation, and then that whole... But at the same time, they, I agree with you, but at the same time, they are independent. If you have skipped one or something, it's not like you're going to watch anyone's like, what the heck? True. I, I understand. No, that, that's a good point. I that you know, like, you know the history, but also if you're just watching that one, you're going to be fine. You're going to understand anyway. Oh, yeah. No doubt. So, yeah, this looks... So when I first saw it, what, remember what we talked about with Top Gun, the, the Top Gun trailer, how you had to have certain shots, like the volleyball shot and the motorcycle. This is the same concept. So Chris McQuarrie, he's worked with him on the last three or four films. And so there were a couple of shots, just staples, that you saw him running long pathway. And then you saw the stunts, obviously. I mean, the car, the car chases, you have car chases, you have international sites. So, I mean, it's just like a James Bond film. In a James Bond film, you have four or five different things that you need, right? You have to have the, the Bond girl, you have to have the opening, you have to have the theme, you have to have the car. This checked all the boxes. Now that we know, so when I watched, you know, of course, the last shot with him jumping off the, <laughs> the cliff and on a motorcycle. <laughs> okay, so, but I will say one thing. Though. Even though this has made billions of dollars, I think this is going to be the end. I think this is the end of the Mission Impossible franchise. And I think that, and the reason I say that is because if you noticed in the title what it was, part one. If you think of every single major, and I'm talking in the last 15 years, major franchise, whether it's been Avengers, okay, you had, even though they didn't call it part one, Infinity War was part one, Endgame was part two. You had Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part one and part two. You had 
The Hunger Games Part 1 and Part 2. I think they're going to close this thing out. And it's going to be interesting to see where they leave the audience. Because there are certain films that do it just right. There are some, like The Hunger Games, for example, the last two films where it left off, it was horrible. It was a terrible place to leave it. But then you take something like Infinity War, and that was more of a cliffhanger. People wanted, they couldn't wait to see the next one. And the fact that part two is coming out the year after that, it's going to be... But the other thing, too, is if it is the end, I mean, they're going to throw the whole book at it. We all know that. It's going to be interesting, though, to see where what he does after that. Because he's been doing this for 25 years. So where do you go from there? I mean, if you've done everything and you don't, what do you do after that, right? That's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing builds up. But that won't be until next summer. What we do have right around the corner is the new Top Gun movie. So are you excited for this or just don't care? I don't care much. I'll probably watch it at some point, but it's not like I'm thrilled and counting the days for that. Yeah, I think that this is a movie that either you can't wait to see, like people are chomping at the bit to see, or being like, eh, the hell with it. I don't care because it's been so long. I mean, for me, you have a window. When a movie comes out and you're going to start a franchise or make a sequel, you have a window of maybe three to five years. And that's with getting the script written. That's getting all the actors coming back. That's scheduling. That's doing everything. And the fact that this has been 30, almost 30 years, over 30 years, 35 years, it's like, I don't really care. I mean, I think if one of these films had come out, I mean, let's put it this way. This is almost three times longer than Avatar. (laughs) And that's something to think about, seriously. I mean, Avatar, it's been, what, 11 years in between films, more than that. So, you know, it's one of those things. But something interesting that I think, I'm sorry, that is important to point out is that Top Gun 2 is not bringing all the actors back. Well, they're bringing, no, they're, they're bringing Val Kilmer back. Yeah, but what about he had an, a romantic affair with um, with uh, Kelly McGinnis. Yeah, and now it's it for me it's just interesting to see that Hollywood always is always so forgivable of men getting old, but not women, right? So of course, like of course, Tom Cruise. It's, that's a valid point. Yeah, Tom Cruise is Volkheimer is fat and old as well, and it's fine. Let's bring his back and his grade, but you know, let's get. But a I, I think that was more of but. As, I, as we talked about in the roundup the other day, and go back and listen to the last week's roundup if you haven't heard this story, the fact that he, was, he wanted Val Kimmer to come back, because, and it was because of health problems. He had had health problems with his voice. He had had throat cancer for several years. He had been in remission. He wanted him to come back. I mean, look, if I had to put a dollar on it, I think Val Kimmer is going to be making a cameo. He'll be in one or two scenes, and that's it. But he wanted Val Kilmer to come back because that was the the guy that he went up head to head with in the original movie. And so, you know, I mean, I think the other thing, too, I'll be curious to see. I doubt they'll make this an issue, but Maverick's only a captain. Iceman now is, is an admiral. You know, I mean, he's kind of like James. He, he's like kind of like Captain Kirk. Maverick does whatever he wants. He gets the job done, but he does whatever he wants. Whereas his Iceman is more of the by the book and follow orders and. You know, that's why he's got a couple stars on his shoulders. So, but that being said, he, at the end of the day, he wanted to act with Val Kilmer. And he said that, even Brockheimer said in the article the other day, it was a very emotional day. And he was only on set one day. So, you know, I, I think, I would agree with you on that. We'll see how Jennifer Connelly does. I'm sure she's going to be great. I think she's a great actress. And I think it's great. But just, I just feel like it's interesting, you know? Like, every time we bring a movie back, we hardly bring the women, you know? Like, yeah, the guys is always there. But it's like women are never allowed. We know that. I mean, there are celebrities that spoke about it. How the moment they turned... I think what Reese Witherspoon, right? Was it like the moment she turned 40 or something, she started auditioning. Like, all the roles that were offered to her was... Like, okay, a mother or something already so so determined. Like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I cannot be the hot girl anymore or something. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's just, but that's a part of, that's a part of acting. I mean, I hate to say it. No, it's not part of acting if it's not the same for men. But what I'm getting at is this. There are men out there. Okay, let's face it. Tom Cruise is one of the most beautiful men on earth. 
Okay. And he looks damn good for his age. No, you can see now he's, he's doing the Botox and the fillers right there. This, I think, trailer, you, this trailer that just came out, you can definitely see that he got a little too much done. Well, my point is, though, that when actors hit a certain age, it doesn't, for the most part, okay, for the most part, they are only going to be able to accept roles. Unless you have, like, a baby face. I totally agree with you. And I'm not saying that I think a 60-year-old woman should audition to be a high school. No, she shouldn't. But I think the disparity is what is bothering me here. Like, Jack Nicholson played, like, a handsome devil that can get all the girls in his, what, 60? When he was not attractive at all, by the way. And he was kind of old already. Dead bods and all this. But this is never allowed to women, right? Which movie was that in? What is the name of that movie? Where he's, like, I think with... Ellen Hunt that she oh Helen Hunt as good as it gets yeah he won an Oscar for that and, and how old was he I don't know off the top of my head maybe one of our listeners could tell us but he won an Oscar for that I know so you know I mean that's that's a little he was 60 so he's, he's Tom Cruise age and at the, in that movie he was still like but you have to understand something though at that point okay that movie was completely skewed to the older older demographic they didn't want 24 to 36-year-olds going to see that. That wasn't a date movie. Dave, I'm not saying that. This is, this is nothing related to what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is he was a 60-year-old old man portrayed as a still like a very handsome guy, had some appeal. That's all I'm saying. Okay, but, but that's how he was written then. What? That's how he was written. Absolutely. What I'm saying is we can never find a story that portrays a woman in the same way. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Then, so maybe what we need then is we have all these sci-fi time travel movies. Why don't we have a woman go back and do time travel then? I mean, I'm not, I'm being kind of facetious, but the point is that if you want that, I guess what I'm getting at is it, there's a variety of different things here. Number one, it depends on the, depends on the script. Number two, it depends on the actor or actress. I will completely acknowledge your point about the fact that they bring back the guys at an older age, but they don't the women. That's just, there's nothing you can... There's a lot we can do. And it's not, there's... there's I don't want to say there's nothing you can do, because there's always something you can do. There's something that we all can do, of course, as a society. So, okay, we have a problem here, that what we're describing here. What would be a solution? Bringing back the women is very easy. But you know as well as I do that Hollywood is a very aesthetically... If you're not aesthetically pleasing... You can be. You, you don't have to be if you're a man. True. But, I mean, there are older women. I mean, take a look at somebody like Helen Mirror. She's in her 70s. I'm not saying that they don't have parts, but they are never... This is So this is not the thing. Of course we're going to see 60-year-old women, 7, 80, 90-year-old women on screen. But the thing is, they're never portrayed as someone desirable. As, as men is, you know, like George Clooney's. I don't know how old he is now, and he's still portrayed like that. Men, we're just talking about right now. So Tom Cruise, sixty, he's still portrayed as the yeah, the badass agent that kicks everyone asses and get twenty five or thirty year old women, you know. But the same never goes for women. She's never a badass at sixty. She's probably going through some midlife crisis. So that tells me that there are not a lot, and this goes back to a problem we have in Hollywood. And I would agree with you. We don't have enough stories that are female-centric, strong-based characters that you can build a franchise around. I completely agree with you, yeah. So at that point, somebody needs to pen something or write something that's female. I am pretty much sure so many people wrote about it, but it's up to the studios to finance it or not. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are ways to... I'll give you an example. Spike Lee never has never... He always seems, I don't want to say always, that's not the correct term. The majority of the time seems to get financing for his roles. He's never had a $100 million budget before in all of his films. So what I'm getting at is that unless somebody, unless a female, unless a lot of women, and we have we have a ton of, of good writers and Greta Gerwin and all these other, you know, Patty Jenkins is out there as a director. They absolutely can sit down and pen something. Oh, they are doing it. For sure. They are doing, but they are doing. 
We have Nomadland that is a very strong movie centric in a, in a woman. They are doing, it's just not enough. And what I'm trying to say is that especially in the action department, if we just look to that section, it's like it's hard. And then that's all I'm saying. It's like, yeah. It's frustrating to see him. Yeah, Tom Cruise is back, Val Kilmer is back, but all the two women are gone, you know, and replaced with some younger one, more appealing ones. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that's, I guess, just chalk that up to another problem that Hollywood has. <laughs> Amongst the, you know, with the diversity and all the other bullshit that they have, that's just another problem that, that they don't take into consideration. Unfortunately, and this is this is a fact of life, unfortunately... Hollywood is a male-dominated business. Yeah, of course. That's 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 what. So unless you get people like a Tyler Perry to actually get his own studio and fund his own studio and make his own movies, and he only use African American males and females, or you have a writer that only writes about strong women. Look, I'll agree with you all day long. There are not enough strong female characters that's why movies like aliens in 1986 you know silence and lambs that's why these movies are so incredible because they have strong female leads so but sometimes you have to fall into it that's a fact of life they don't go out making these movies for the sequels or, or whatever and say okay we're gonna we're gonna make this better than the first one i don't know what you do about it to be absolutely honest with you i don't know what you do about it well, there's some people. I think it was actually. I think it's Reese Witherspoon who started her own producing company only to bring up movies that are centered in in strong female character. I feel like that. Baby steps. And once I'll say this much: as soon as one of one of those pictures that she, her production company gets recognized. And whether it's a Golden Globe or whether it's a SAG Award, whether it's an Oscar. That was one of her movies, yeah. The, what is the name? The, the one that she's a backpacker. I think she was, it was nominated for a few things, right? But until one of those things that she, Wild? Yeah, Wild. It's called Wild. But until one of those things in her production company gets, whether it's nominated. Well, she was nominated for Backpackers for them for sure. So that's, but unfortunately, people in Hollywood, people in general in society have a very short memory. So then it's not only that. I mean, they, I mean, they do like, we were just talking about uh, Brad Tom Cruise right here. They cared when he did one good job, he could get all the good jobs in the world. But here's the thing, his longevity, and that's the thing, he works. And I don't know his, obviously, schedule. But the point is, that man works 350 days out of the year. He is always, always doing something. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's based, but that's part of it. When you're only working once or twice a year, that has something to do with it too. It does. I mean, he has four or five things. I mean, he has two movies coming out between now and next year. I mean, they're already shot. They're already done. Man, I feel like Kristen Stewart is working just as much. That woman has a new movie coming up like every. Three months. It's insane. But here's the thing about Kristen Stewart. Okay, I, I like Kristen Stewart. I'll be honest with you. I loved her in the new Charlie's Angels movie. I love that whole movie with Naomi Scott and everything else. The problem with Kristen Stewart is she had a stigma on her. She had a stigma on her. Because everybody, and the thing is, it's the same thing with Patterson. Everybody thinks or thought of them until she did Stuart, uh, Spencer, and she got nominated for Spencer, even though she didn't win. And he's... Patterson had to go do smaller budget movies like The Lighthouse and everything else because everybody thought of them from Twilight. And that was so until their careers, it depends. I mean, really, I hate to say it. Part of it, it, it depends on your career choices. I mean, in, you know, going back to ages. I'm going to disagree because I feel like men has way more choices than women. Anyway. No, I will agree with you there. And, that, and that's wrong. That's wrong. That's, well, again, it's another problem. It depends... I mean, there's so many different variables. I mean, you have your core problems, but it depends on how they're handled and who handles them. I mean, Tom Cruise, he's, look, he's been working for the last 40 years. He could do whatever he wants. I mean, if that's true, he could pick a phone up and, and get a movie made. That's clout. But the fact is that, so then, okay, let me ask you this then. Let's flip the tables for a minute. Do you think if, had this been a female actress, I can't think of a female actress off the top of my head. 
But let's say she had a huge role, huge action role, it exploded, and she grew, and she had a franchise and everything else. Do you think she would have had the same opportunities? No, absolutely not, because I don't... I, Even though she was the biggest name in Hollywood. I don't think so. I don't think it's the same. I don't think we even approach the world as the same. So I'm sure, like, we had the... What is the name of the crazy producer who harassed most of... Oh, so, so yeah, Weinstein. Yeah, so we had that happening. Weinstein, yeah. We had that happen. So, like, a man doesn't have to deal with that. And so we don't even approach... Because, like you said, Hollywood is male-dominated. We don't approach men the same way that a man does. We are not seen and perceived. There is something about, like, a brotherhood that we can never have, you know? I have a friend who owns a startup here, and she always tells me that it is so frustrating when she's, like, meeting with investors or something, because every time his her husband shows up, kind of everyone talks to him and takes... Gravitates toward him. Yeah, and, and then they have these mainly jokes and all those things, and she feels like, I don't know how to break into that cycle to have the same kind of approach and relationship with them, because they don't do it with me. It's like, oh, you know, Donald Trump said it before. It's like the locker room talk, right? They're not going to talk to us the same way. So, of course, we're never going to have the same opportunities. Like, the thing is, Hollywood shouldn't be a male-dominated thing. It should be a more democratic industry, for sure. And I think we're, again, like you said, baby steps. We're working on that. It's just going to take time, a lot of time. And money, of course. And it's going to cost us some people being very upset. Like, how dare you, you know, casting... Oh, you're going to have to step on people's toes. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, people are so frustrated because the next James Bond might be a woman, and then people are, like, so fucking annoyed at that. The problem is, and, and this, is a, this is a harsh reality, the problem is that a man can give a woman a role, okay? You come into my casting, you know, studio, I have the option whether I want to give you a role or not. The woman does not have that same option. It's that simple. And I'll take it even one step further. It depends on the amount of casting directors you have, okay? I would, and I don't know this number off the top of my head, but I would venture to say there is not a lot of female casting directors in Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know. So that, if you want to start, if you want to get a solution, that's where you start. You get more female casting directors. I feel like it's one step back. No, it's not there that start. You start with the funding. You start funding because a casting director, like I cannot choose like, the. oh no, I don't want this to be a man. You don't have the leverage to say if you want. But by the time a casting director is making their choices, you've already gotten funding. You've already got the, you've already got a greenlit. You've already got it funded. That's not an issue. No, no, but you have, no, no, no. You have to step back because a casting director is going to cast whatever you choose. Like, this is a man. Is a, you, you're not going to cast a female for a role that was designed and script to a man. As a casting director, you don't have the power to say so. Maybe the director decided to change that something. But the casting director... You do have input. But the input... No, it's not really a leverage. I feel like you start... I think the whole thing changes when we start putting money in movies that empower women, that put women as a leading role and not only being mothers or, or suffering for a heartbreak, you know? That's when you change things. But see, at the same time, though, I'll say this much, that that's why you have casting directors that stick with certain directors because they know what they want. They, you have casting directors working with the same directors for 20, 30 years because they know what they want at that point. So I would suggest that as their relationship develops and gets better maybe they are going to say you know what let's go this way but that's so long that's what i'm saying if you invest in those movies that's it there's no negotiation this movie is about a woman this woman this movie is about a woman traveling the united states and understanding this this is the movie wild this is the movie there's no let's start a relationship here maybe on your fifth movie when you're actually buddies I'm going to say, hey, maybe you should change it. That's too long. If you funding, money is power in Hollywood, in the, any industry in the world. So when you start funding, it all starts there. Where you put your money is where things are going to grow. Put money where women is. Then that's going to grow. That's why celebrities that are already very successful are doing this job. You know, like I said, Ritherspoon's like, yeah, I'm doing producing company just to sponsor movies that tell stories of women. Great money where it should be and she has the relationship the connections the name so she can maybe get it done we have olivia wilde doing something very similar too so yeah i mean that it's a catch-22 it really is because 
you can't get things made without money. But at the same time, you can't have, you know, there's so many different variables that, and it takes so long to, to get these things started up that, once again, you need, even if you have one name behind it, Reese Witherspoon, you need recognition. You need an Oscar. I hate to say it. That's what really propels. You go from here to here when you win an Oscar because your name's on the map. Or not. We have a lot of actors that never won Oscars. Tom Cruise being one, and here you are. We said that he was at But his- he doesn't care. The, the difference is, though, he doesn't care. Well, we think he doesn't care. We don't know. No, no, no. He doesn't care. He doesn't. He, he can't. But the thing, my point, my point is, you're not taking seriously just about the Oscar. Tom Cruise never won one, and you even said that he's one of the three biggest actors right now. So it's like, oh, I, that, that's an opinion. But I think name. He's one of the three biggest names out there, and he's made bazillions of dollars. Exactly, and never won an Oscar. So when, you, but that's the thing, though. He doesn't. If it doesn't matter if he wins or not. The fact that he never won an Oscar and is still one of the highest paid and most recognized tells me that. Maybe you actually don't need an Oscar. But see, that, and I would say this. But the majority of people, they all try to quantify things. How many Oscars you have, how many awards you have, how many champions. Your awards saying that you have to have an Oscar taken seriously. But that's not the same. There are plenty of actors out there. That's what I said, yeah. That's exactly what I said. That's my point. That I don't think you need an Oscar. But the difference is, though, he doesn't need one. There are some people that get into acting that that's their end-all, be-all. They want that gold statue. They go 20, 30, 40 years, and they want to win an Oscar. There are some people, when you get to a leaf status like a Tom Cruise, top three name in the world, who has bazillions of dollars, he's just out there to make movies. If he gets recognized, great. If he doesn't, no big deal. Because that's not the first and foremost thing on his mind. That's why he takes years and years. I mean, the lengths that that guy goes through to do things practically, because you got to understand something. He grew up in a time without CGI. Yeah, I know. So when he's jumping out of, when he's taking a full year out of his life to learn a halo jump, a high altitude, low oxygen jump, and he's doing this practically, and they did it practically. That took almost a year to film, okay? Or hanging off the side of a building so he's safe. Or, so the thing is, he just, Cruz is one of those people that he has to keep out doing himself. He's a narcissist. I mean, for lack of a better word. He always has to keep out doing himself. Always. If you do something, I've got to do something better. If I do something, I've got to do it better than him. And that's Tom Cruise. And that's the way he's always worked. And he always will work. And the thing is, he will never work for a director where he has to give up any power. Because at the end of the day, that's what he is all about. He's power. Any other man, mark my words on this, any other guy that went on that tirade and that got leaked, that's who you would have thrown him off the picture in a heartbeat. Except Tom Cruise. You know why? Because he had his own money and he was putting up his own people in those hotels. That's the only reason. Because he could have shut that whole thing down anytime he wanted. But he wanted to get it made. So Tom Cruise, he's a narcissist. And he doesn't care about award. He doesn't care about money. That's the man. And I think, honestly, you can see that in all of his relationships, too. Been married three times and has failed every single time. The way people try to get back to Tom Cruise, and I I don't care about religion one way or the other, okay? The way that they think, oh, this guy's an idiot because he believes in Scientology. That's the way they try and throw him under the bus because there's no other way to do it. Because it's such, everybody thinks he's a quack because he believes in such an abstract way of thinking. So the point is that... This guy is he's either going to die on set <laughs> or he's going to continue to, he will not retire until he's probably like 75 or 80 or he's got to be in a walker. He just won't because that's what kind of drive he has. That's it. And I would hope, and I don't know the man personally, obviously, I would hope that he makes every, every person around him better. He's like a sports star. He's like one of those superstars when he makes everyone better around him i hope he makes everyone better around him so when they go out and make a movie they take what they've learned from him and apply it anyways on that note so let's just finish by saying this top gun comes out on friday (laughs) and i will 
so what I will be doing is I will be going to do a spoiler cast. I'm going to go see it Friday morning. I will be coming back and be doing a spoiler cast. I probably will be doing it live. And then coming up in June, which is right around the corner, we have Jurassic World Dominion, June 8th, I believe. And then later on the next week is Lightyear. That ought to be a fascinating movie. And then July 8th, beginning of July, we one, one movie that I keep I keep forgetting that I absolutely want to see at the end of June is Elvis, June 22nd. So that will be an interesting movie to talk about. And then July 8th, we have Thor. And then at the beginning of July, or beginning of June, I should say, coming out this Friday, actually, is same day as Top Gun, believe it or not, we have Obi-Wan. So what I will be doing, by the way, I have thought of a price, and it's going to be $6.99. Sci-Fi Sundays are going to be $6.99 a month. You're going to be getting a lot of stuff. I'll be sh- you'll get shout-outs, 16 podcasts a month. You'll be getting all four of the monthly Sci-Fi Sunday podcasts and more. So after, we're going to do Obi-Wan first because that's right around the corner. And then June 3rd or maybe the 10th, we will have Jeff Aiken jump in for maybe the last three or four episodes. And from there, we will then turn around and do all of the Star Trek movies. From there, we are going to do all of the Star Wars movies. So we've got the whole stars, all of the stars aligned for that. And then we'll be doing sci-fi movies from there on out. So on Thursday will be our roundup show. I've got a couple of very interesting stories already lined up. One, Illawa, I think you're going to... If we're having this healthy debate now, I can't wait to hear what debate's going to be on this on Thursday. I'll just tease it for you. So recently, The Hollywood Reporter came out with a, an article about the new Jurassic World movie. Sam Neill, I'm, tell, stop me if you've seen this. Sam Neill was 20 years older than Lauren Dern. Okay, you have seen this. We're going to hold off on that so, so we don't go for another hour. <laughs> but at the time, they said it was appropriate. I want to get your uh, thoughts on that. So until Thursday, I'm David Steele. I'm Ilua Orazen. And you have been listening to Real Talks.